Welcome to Mom and Doc Talk, a podcast for health-conscious parents where you get the perspective of a mom and a dad who's also a pediatrician and pediatric emergency physician. Instead of Googling your way through parenting and hoping for the best, get trusted guidance and be the empowered, savvy, and decisive parent you know you can be. Sleep easy when you follow advice tested by doctors and tried by moms and dads. Here are your mom and dad hosts, Dr. Christopher Haynes and Azure Sullivan. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Mom and Doc Talk. I am Azure Sullivan. Hey, guys. I'm Dr. Chris. Hope everyone's well. Yeah. Sending you happy thoughts, especially now that the kids are back at school. Let's take a deep inhale and exhale. Yeah, I suspect (laughs) many parents are pretty excited. I saw a meme recently of what a mom looked like in the beginning of the summer and a dad and what they look like at the end of the summer. And it was it was pretty funny. I will be honest. Uh, going back to school season is one of organizing organizers biggest time for clients because kids are back in school. So parents have a little bit more free time, but also the rush of the summer and everything that has happened. They're like, please help me. Please help my house. Please help me with my my life, my job. Just like help me. <laughs> Um, anyway, so Dr. Chris, with everything going, every, all the kids are back in school, fall's coming. What are you seeing in the ER currently? What are you like, what's coming in? You know, because you've said this many times, things are seasonal, you know, seasonal injuries, things that you see along, you know, different seasons. So I want to know what you're seeing right now. So we have seen an absolute barrage of viruses. And we've talked about this on Mama Doc Talk before. COVID really created almost like, I'll call it a virus vacuum for a couple of years. And all the viruses are out of whack. And so some of, what does that mean? So like um, something you're you used know, to like seeing. We're seeing RSV in the summertime when we normally see it in February. And we see it year round, but we're seeing it. It's not typical. Yeah, we're seeing viruses that you know we wouldn't see. There, there was just a, a warning about new viruses that are coming from you know, things that are coming from ticks that are moving north because of climate changes. You know, so there's a lot of different things we're seeing. And, you know, we've seen a ton of rhinovirus. And rhinovirus is the common cold, but it also makes young kids wheeze. And it leads to admission to the hospital. And it can make them really sick. It is miserable. Rhinovirus sounds really scary. Uh what am I? What are, what are we looking for in rhinovirus? And you said it's common cold, but what symptoms are we looking for? Hey, I'm a you know new parent. What is rhinovirus? Rhinovirus is you know rhinos your nose, right? So it causes mucus to come out of everywhere. Um, you have a runny nose. It comes out of your eyes sometimes, and it's just really kids dealing with lots of mucus, and they get <laughs> they get fevers, and then sometimes they get secondary ear infections. But you know things you can do for your child. It's ibuprofen, Tylenol, fluids, um, and especially young babies, it's suctioning. And using a nose Frida, using a bulb suction with some saline. That gives them a lot of comfort. Well, it does. It's They cry a lot. And I always tell parents, you know, ask parents how often they suction. Oh, I did it twice today. Um, we're talking 10, 15 times a day sometimes because babies are obligate nose breathers, so they have to breathe through their nose. And if you don't keep their nose clean, they're not going to eat well. 
And really the key is just to keep them hydrated, get them, you know, continue to be able to breastfeed, bottle feed, your older kids being able to drink and eat and get them through it. Typically lasts like five to seven days. They cough with it. Um, and as I said, some kids wheeze and kids that have an underlying um, predisposition to wheeze may wheeze. And then kids that are older that have asthma may cause an asthma exacerbation. The other virus that we typically see in the fall is parainfluenza. And it's not influenza, it's parainfluenza. And this kind of, we see spring fall and it causes croup. And it, it's scary. I love when you impersonate what croup. The, <laughs> which is not wheezing. Lots of parents, you know, they call their doctor and say, my child's wheezing. It's called strider or your child was stridulous. One of my favorite words. Every ER doctor loves stridulous. They're, stridulous. You have stridulousness. Um, it's a great word. Yeah, I actually uh, like it. Stridulous. But, you know, they have this really I deep... feel like I have stridulous when I'm done at the gym. <laughs> well, you know, adults can get croup too, but they don't get strider because their airways are bigger. And that's why kids, when they're typically seven, eight, nine, their airways get bigger and they're, they don't have this happen. Mm -hmm. And what croup does is it causes swelling below the vocal cords and it makes air spin. And unfortunately, you know, you can put your child to bed eight o'clock at night, you go through the normal routine, they look fantastic, they just had a great dinner, um, you read a book, everything was wonderful, and at two o'clock in the morning, they wake up with a fever, this really, uh, 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 this deep seal-like, barky, dog-like cough, and they're in distress. And you know, a lot of parents will go into showers, if it's cold, go outside, it works wonders. And many kids, by the time they show up in the ER, because they were out in the cold. And as ER doctors, we hope when croup hits, it's cold outside, because then when they get to us, it is it's already been fixed a lot, and we have less that we can do, and we can get them kind of turn the corner quickly. So a parent rolls down the window, or maybe they're in the ambulance, and it's cold outside, and they get to you, and they don't have that cough anymore. So now what? Well, they have the cough. And they still have the strider, but we treat kids differently. If you have a child that comes in and every breath they're going, <gasps> you know, that's a problem. And we treat them with a medicine called racemic epinephrine that helps smooth out the airflow and makes that strider, that noise go away. We also, at the same time, give steroids, um, a medicine called decadron or dexamethasone. And what that does is it makes the inflammation go away. But that's a little slower over time. And these kids will do well. Typically, after we give them medicine called racemic epinephrine, we watch them for a couple hours. And most kids go home. Occasionally, if we have to give it more than once, we admit them to the hospital. But it's pretty uncommon. Um, I always tell parents, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of the shower. Um, I've had parents actually stick their kids' heads in freezers uh, because they were trying to look for somewhere that was cold. It was a you know warm Indian summer night, and it wasn't. So put them in the back seat if they're not in distress and drive them around the car if it's cold. Um, it's a really good trick, and it really helps. And we learn that. You know, many of us have trained most children's hospitals in the city. And when we get ambulances that come in in the middle of the night, we get clusters of them, three, four kids at a time that have had this illness start. By the time they get to us, because they walked outside, they got in the ambulance, it was cold. By the time they get to us, it was better. Um, I always also tell parents that we're fixing the problem, but the virus is still there. And this is a virus. There are no antibiotics for it. It's still the same things. It's that supportive care. It's ibuprofen, Tylenol, lots of fluids, but your child will continue to cough usually for a week or two. Yeah, I was just going to ask, so a week or two is, week or two. gosh, it's almost like that dry cough that just doesn't go away, but now we have this barking cough. Well, adults don't get, they may get a little bit of the barking cough, but adults get almost laryngitis. 
and that you'll know if your kid gets croup and a week later you have a nasty sore throat and you're having trouble talking, you probably have croup as well. Um, but you just don't have that noise. Uh, the other virus we see late summer, through the summer, but late summer into early fall is hand, foot, and mouth disease. Oh, and I love this one. I remember. I and when always, I say love, I mean I hate. I diagnose it and I tell parents that they have hand, foot, and mouth. And if they've never heard of it before, their their head spins around like a poltergeist because they've just heard hand, foot, and mouth disease. It sounds like an animal disease. Um, hand, foot, and mouth causes fevers. Children get ulcers in the back of their throat. They look like these shallow gray kind of nasty ulcers in the back of the throat. And then they get a rash typically on their palms and their soles, but it can be all over their body. And the rash looks like little red dots underneath the skin. But one of the keys with this guys is when you push on the rash, it goes away. And we've talked about this before. One of the rashes that's dangerous is something called petechiae and they look like blood under the skin. If you ever push on a rash and you rub your finger across it and you cannot make it go away, that's a problem and you need to get seen. One of the biggest issues, and these are all viruses, like I said, they're not treated with antibiotics. It's ibuprofen, Tylenol. Ibuprofen is really key with this, especially over six months of age because you need to get them to eat and drink. Their throat is raw. Yeah, they're it's, probably, they probably have a fever. They're not feeling well. They're probably. Uh, we, they look like, I'll use the word crud. Um, you know, they just like, they're like limp dish rags and they're not moving. They're not drinking. And really the key is to, is antipyretics, is ibuprofen, Tylenol and get fluids in their system. And it will go away just like anything else. Um, I always get the question, can my other kids get it? Absolutely. And you can get it. You're probably not going to. You've probably had it before. You have a little bit of immunity to it. Um, but I have seen older kids with it, and I have seen parents with it as well. The other thing we're seeing a lot of is we're still seeing the Omicron variant of COVID. And what's been interesting with kids we're seeing, I actually think we're seeing more now than we were ever seeing in the past. And I think it's because kids are now mixing. And, you know, you ask, going back to school, right? I'm expecting viruses to blow up in the next few weeks yes all these kids are coming back together exactly hey let's exchange what do what do you have oh i and, have this illness and we're now maskless and you know many schools are now back some are using masks but i think most are not so i'm expecting more and with covid now we're i almost call it kind of the great pretender uh we always we always joke in the adult world that syphilis is the great pretender and it presents with all these different symptoms. You really never know what it is. And COVID's kind of been the same way and each variant has been a little different. And this variant seems to give kids a lot of GI symptoms and they get vomiting, they get diarrhea, and then they get the fever, the achiness and the other things with it as well. Um, we didn't see, we had a brief influenza season. We didn't see a lot of it. I don't think anybody really knows why. Um, it kind of came and it went. Um, we never really saw influenza B. We saw influenza A, but we never saw B. Um, and we're seeing a little bit of, you know, trickling of strep throat, and that's pretty normal this time of year. And, you know, kids with strep throat, they come in with sore throat. Some kids will come in with abdominal pain and headache only. Um, and it caught strep throat strep throat so you have the kids are young they won't say they have a sore throat and they present only with a headache and, a, and belly pain and strep can do that and strep needs to be treated it is a bacteria it needs to be treated with antibiotics it needs to be treated for the full duration and i usually you know we tell parents that the antibiotic is really not going to shorten the illness 
and we're really giving it to prevent the complications. It's really important because if you have untreated strep, you can get rheumatic fever, you can get kidney problems, and you can get heart problems. So it's really important that you continue um, the course of antibiotics. The other thing that we're seeing a lot of right now is what I'll call outside rashes. Um, we call them plant dermatitis. So a lot of poison ivy, a lot of poison oak, um, poison sumac, and parents come in and they're like, well, what tree do they get exposed to? Even I, in fall? It's, it's actually still out there right now, and you can get it from the vine. So it can be not even have leaves on it. And we also see in the fall, kids get it in their lungs or they get it all over the place because they're at bonfires. And poison ivy can be big, thick. You're telling me you don't want to eat poison ivy on your toasted marshmallows? I don't want to eat it with my s'mores, thank you. Um, but you have to really look out for it. And what poison ivy looks like is it looks like raised red dots. It tends to have a linear appearance to it, and it can kind of ooze a little bit. Um, one of the keys is I think a lot of people think that if I touch, you have poison ivy and I touch your arm, I'm going to get it. I'm not. It is not contagious like that. It's from the oils from the plant. And I see these kids coming back in, you know, it's not getting better. It's not getting better. They've not washed their children's hands. They need to take soap and water and nail brush and clean under because the, the oil's underneath their fingers. That's how you get rid of it. And, you know, treatment for us is, you know, Benadryl if it's itchy, calamine lotion, you can do a calamine bath. And the only time we gender, generally tend to use steroids is when it's on a face. Um, and it, you know, occasionally it'll get secondarily infected, but that's really what we're seeing. And then it's interesting over the last several weeks, I think I've now had 10 or 12 families that have had bat exposures. Um, last weekend I had this poor family, they woke up Saturday morning, went to have breakfast, and they had a bat in a coffee cup that they had used the night before and everybody freaked out. Oh my gosh. And bats are interesting. Bats have tiny teeth and the guidelines for the Center for Disease Control and the guidelines for all of our infectious diseases is you can get a bite and not know it. And bats tend to be very rabid. So you need to go through the entire rabies vaccine series for the whole family, which is four shots. You know, it's, it's over a several week period and it's really important because you can get rabies that way. And the rules are if you wake up and it's been in your house and you didn't know it, or you wake up with it in the corner of the room, um, you need to get rabies shots. It's so crazy that you say that because I remember being young and having bats in our house, you know, our house, you know, when I Oh, man, I was like four or five years old. I remember there being a bat in our house, like maybe like once every few months in the summertime. And we were just like, oh, get the bat out. And then we got the bat out and we're like, all right, go back to bed. Yeah. We never, ever did that that procedure that you just described there. Yeah. And it kind of freaks me out. <laughs> yeah. I, it, you, I, rabies is not that common in the United States. I think we're very conservative in treating it. And, you know, the, the animals that I worry about with rabies are bats. I worry about with raccoons, especially raccoons that are out there in the daytime. They shouldn't. We get a, every once in a while, I get a bite from a raccoon. And, you know, if they're out in the daytime, you got a problem, run away um, because they're probably rabid. And they're one of the higher, and foxes and skunks can be rabid as well, especially. They should be animals that are night animals. They're out, they go hunt. If they're out in the daytime and you see them in the daytime and you get a bite, you really need to get evaluated. Most people will come in with an animal bite anyway, but I think it's interesting. Most families don't realize, they call their pediatrician, they say they were exposed to a bat, they Google it online. Next thing you know, they're calling the pediatrician. Next thing you know, they're in the emergency department. And rabies vaccine, unfortunately, 
I, I can give the first dose, your pediatrician can't. So you need to come back to the ER over and over and over. Oh my gosh. And you can't get it for your pediatrician. So we're the ERs of the people that give the rabies vaccines. So you're back day one, day seven, day 14, day 21, and you're going to get those shots. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate, but that are they are the recommendations that we would give uh, with a bad exposure. Hey, I want to ask um, a quick question back on like the viruses and uh, the bacteria infections and whatnot. Uh, I mean, just from your perspective, when you you know, get one person as a virus versus a bacteria and a bacterial infection, what is, it could be anything, what is, what would you rather have, a virus or a bacterial infection? That's a really tough question. Not that <laughs> depends want, on Depends not, on the virus. I mean, not that we want either, but I'm just saying like, okay, how about the ones you just mentioned, you know, like. Uh, part of the part of the problem is that viruses lead to bacterial infections or they can lead to bacterial infections. And the typical pattern that I look for is a child gets rhinovirus and it's an older child, they get an upper respiratory infection, you know, the common cold. And then four days later, they've got better for a day or two. And now they come in with a bacterial infection or an ear infection. Um, so do I want, I think a virus is probably your best bet, to be honest. Um, but at the same time, you know, bacterial infection I have treatment for. It's not, it's probably going to last the same duration. So it's kind of, you know. I'm just saying like from your perspective, you're like, oh, thank goodness it's a bacterial infection instead of a virus or, well, you know. Living in the emergency department, we get them as well. We still get them. And when I get them, they're the bad ones. And it's the worst of the worst. And you feel horrible. Um, you know, do I, I, I would say virus, t to be honest. <laughs> a virus? All right. Um, okay. And a minor one that I had exposure to that goes away really, really quickly. Uh, but for parents, you know, you're 99.99% of what kids get are viruses. Um, so you're going to live in that virus world. So don't expect every time you come in, parents come in expecting antibiotics and it's not going to happen. You know, we're, we're going through a physical exam and I'm looking for throat infection. I'm looking for ear infection. I'm looking for a lung infection. And I guess I would add that when I first started practicing, we did a lot more blood urine workup. And we don't do as much anymore with improvement in vaccines. And one of them is a pneumococcal vaccine that came out during my training. Um, we don't see the same amount of bacterial infections. We're seeing less of them. And that's a good thing. And, you know, one of the terms that I want our listeners is to understand is something called antimicrobial stewardship. And what happens... That's not an easy word, but... It's important. It's kind of like... Um, tight. <laughs> yeah. It, the best way of describe it is everyone working together to recycle. It's the same concept. It's like having stewardship and being good at, you know, protecting our planet. You know, this is being good in medicine and not going in every time and requesting an antibiotic when your child has a virus and understanding that overprescribing can hurt your child and hurt our community as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. So it's 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 understanding that a virus is a virus that will run its course, but keep an eye out for a bacterial infection. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, and our body is healing itself. It doesn't. If it worked overnight, we'd be in the X Men X Men shows. You know, so you know it's not going to go away overnight. We have to be realistic with our time frame and healing. And part of that is accepting, hey, I'm sick. I just need rest, hydration. You know eat the proper nutrient, uh, nutritious foods, and just, you know, hope that tomorrow's a better day. And, and support. 
and know, support. It's also, of course, it's all supportive care. And you and I have talked about you laugh at me every time I say it, but it's ibuprofen, Tylenol, fluids. I probably say it five hundred times a day, and you know, it's how you help kids. Honestly, yeah. Um, so you can go back to what you're talking about, rashes. You you talked about bad exposures, and I think you were getting into the next thing that's similar to that. What what, what was the next thing? Yeah, we're we're this is kind of the season along with the spring and all through the summer. But we've seen I've seen more and more kids over the last several weeks with ticks, and ticks in their head and their scalp, and parents coming in because they're afraid to remove them. And, you know, we remove them for them and you want to make sure all the parts are out. Um, we use tweezers, we call them forceps to get them out. And, you know, there's different guidance. It depends on how long the tick's been on. It depends on where you live. But certainly there's a, there's a, a, a disease called Borrelia. There's a disease called Lyme disease, um, especially in the mid-Atlantic, but it's kind of spreading out um, with the tick population. So right. you are know, you thinking that the ticks are just like, does it get colder and they just start searching for bodies? Um, no, I think that it's just they're they're developing through the summer and they're just around. You know, at least where I live, there's deer everywhere and deer ticks are what transmit Lyme disease. And you're going to see more and more and more of them. And, you know, once there's a once there's a freeze, they're gone and there are no more ticks. And then we start to see them again in the spring. But, you know, I, I think the advice that I would give is that, you know, this is the time of year where we're still out playing with our kids. And, you know, when you come in from outside playing, do a tick check. I mean, even more so because when it starts getting cooler, we find ourselves more active outside. Yeah. And, and until, you know, especially through November, um, depending on where you live and, and other places, you know, Lyme disease is certainly a mid-Atlantic thing. Um, it was named for Lyme, Connecticut. Um, so it's, you know, Virginia all the way up to Massachusetts is a very common area for Lyme disease and the ticks that cause that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that, I mean, what is that summary of rashes that you're seeing? So we've kind of covered some viruses, rashes. Is there like another segment of things that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, this is the season for injuries, and we've been seeing it all summer. You know, you get the fall injuries. You know, we see a lot of head injuries, a lot of minor head injuries. You know, they're out playing, they fall forward on the playground and hit their head. And a lot of parents, you know, I would describe them as worried well, and I would be too. My, you know, if I wasn't in this profession, my child fell and hit their head. Um, I think it's important to talk about a few things. And one, we use something called PCARN guidelines which are Pediatric Emergency Collaborative Research Network guidelines, and they were put in place to decrease the number of CAT scans that were being performed. And there's been some research that showed that they looked at the atomic bomb that went off during World War II in Japan. They looked at a ring around there, and they showed that that ring was equivalent to a CAT scan. And they showed that possibly later in life, there was an increased risk of malignancy in a child if they got exposed to that level of radiation. And simultaneously, CAT scans have gotten better. We could do one in five minutes. You lay your kid in the CAT scan tube, it's done in five minutes. So you have this kind of easy access to CAT scans. Who do we scan? We're not really sure. We're trying to make sure your kid doesn't have a bleed in their head or a skull fracture. So... PCARN put together guidelines of under two and over two who to scan. And I'm not going to go through them. They're out of the scope of this. But, you know, certainly talk to your pediatrician. 
you know, talk to your. Oh, that's very valuable information to yeah. get those guidelines. Yeah, go to go to your, you know, call your pediatrician. They should be a handout in my mailbox. Um, you can't really do that in a way, but I can give you things to, you know, look. If your child's not had loss of consciousness, your child hit their forehead, has not vomited, and didn't have a high. I know, but much like any other checklist out there, if you don't have one in front of you, you panic. I. I I would say I would agree with you, but not, unfortunately, not everything in medicine is black and white. So I think there's a fear. I give you a checklist and you obey the checklist and then something's odd because medicine's not always black and white. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, do I think, you know, you could call your pediatrician and they can go through that checklist with you. I show it to parents. There is an app and I pull the app up and I go through it with the parents and I show them the risk of a head injury versus the risk of malignancy. And many kids, we will not CAT scan that we used to in the future, we just observe them for four hours. Um, so, and then the next question I get after that is, does my child have a concussion? And we start to see that, you kind of ask what we're seeing in this fall region, we will start to see more concussions as college or as college or college football, high school football, cheerleaders come in with concussions all the time, soccer players. We start to see the knee injuries and the elbow injuries, and we continue to see the other things um, for fall sports and even with youth sports, um, because a lot of the organized youth sports become more contact sports in the fall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what's what's next on your list there? I, that's the things that we're seeing. I don't have much more. All of those things? Yeah, we see lots of crazy things, a lot of bike injuries. Um, but that's what we're seeing right now. And it will continue and it will increase. And, you know, I, I kind of like, if I were to choose my season of being an ER doctor, I would always choose kind of spring, summer, fall versus the winter. You know, Why? The, the winter is virus, virus. And it becomes, you know, you see 15 kids in one night that have the same virus. And in the summertime, it's, I saw a virus, I saw a urinary tract infection, I saw a wrist fracture, I saw a kid fall off a jungle gym with an elbow fracture, I saw a head injury, uh, we got a trauma, you know, so it's a variety of different things and I think there's a little more variation. I think if I were to give, you know, I try to give a little bit of advice with this, it's helmets. I still see kids not wearing helmets. Um, really be a mentor and if you're on a bike, wear a helmet. Uh, we've talked about this before, I hate monkey bars. Um, we see elbow fracture after elbow fracture after elbow fracture. Um, you know, be safe if you're on a trampoline. And, you know, certainly anything you can do by wearing the proper protective gear while you're playing sports. And, you know, I would say, look, you want your kids to have a great time. You know, just having a little bit of preventative and looking out for your kid will really go a long way. You're not going to avoid it. This is also the season we see lots of lacerations. We've seen them all summer, you know, scalp lacerations and eyebrow lacerations and, you know, all over. So I think maybe get yourself prepared. Kids are back at school. They're doing the, the sports, you know, um, you know, aside from outside, you know, viruses and things that are going along, uh, being exchanged in that way, you know, get some tissues, get some ibuprofen, get some Tylenol, you know, back up all of those kind of those maybe have like a, a bag of cookies to bake, you know, um, not bag, one of those, you know, you just add egg and butter, but like have a pre-mix, a cookies. bag of cookies prepared so that when you're home for the five days, you have something that will keep you like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, that's kind of part of the comfort aspect of healing through an illness or having your children heal through an illness or an injury. And um, what else? You know, we have tissues, we have medicines. What else? I would say far and away hand washing. 
hand washing, lots of soap, hand sanitizer. Yeah, Ab- absolutely. Maybe some Lysol. Yeah, I, the question I get is, you know, is my whole family going to get it? And what I've seen in the literature is that penetrance or the number of people in a family that are going to get it is about 75%. So I always kind of joke, the average family is four. Either mom or dad's not going to get it. Um, so, you know, assume that they're going to get it and it is contagious. Some older kids may not get some of the younger kids' viruses, mm-hmm. but it's pretty typical. I would also say if you're a new parent, you know, we always kind of joke that it's bad luck to have a kid, you know, in October, November, like your risk of getting a virus and your child getting a fever when they're young. Um, so be really cognizant when you have a young baby. You know, young babies less than a month with a fever tend to need a pretty big workup and many of them will get admitted to the hospital. So trying to avoid avoid large gatherings, you know, handing baby off to grandma who's going to hand it to the aunt and everybody must wash their hands ahead of time. But thinking about that and understanding that there is increasing risk as kids mix in school and there's less, you know, and, and that's always kind of been the hope with COVID as well. You know, it will kind of fade away in the summer. And I've heard some recent you know, experts say that they think it's going to come back with a vengeance in the wintertime. Oh. You know, that we're going to have a lot of it. Um, but I think fortunately, one of the great things is we now have vaccines and, you know, the vaccines are now approved for kids as well. So if you have that opportunity, you know, vaccines. Have... Or at least talk to your pediatrician. Ask, you know, hey, what do you think I should get? Prepare myself for the wintertime, fall. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, hand washing, vaccines, teaching your child to cough into their elbow, wash their hands afterward. Um, all those things will go a really long way and, you know, may prevent you from, you know, missing work, may prevent you from missing school. Um, so that's kind of what I'd recommend. So two things before we go, uh, things, things that I like to do. Um, one is I keep a little spray bottle that I got from like Walmart. It was like eight ounces, maybe six. And I fill it with isopropanol or isopropyl alcohol and this that's is your just, chemistry background this is, coming out? This is just, you know, uh, what, uh, what what do people just call it? Just Isopropyl alcohol? Is, it, is that what they just call yes. it? I don't know. That's what I call it, but I don't know if that's what like... It's the main component of hand sanitizer. Yes, but I don't know if that's people are like, oh, I'm going to go pick up isopropyl alcohol today. No, I they, think they just say alcohol. Rubbing, oh, rubbing alcohol. That's what it's called. Yeah. Uh, so get some rubbing alcohol and I put it in a, that spray bottle and I label it and I spray it on like everything... Uh, especially when my my daughter is sick or someone is sick and I use it for like everything. So she touches something, you know, I, you know, on the door handles on like I wash the blanket then I spray the couch. I spray my hands. I go over to the, the table and I spray the chairs. I spray every surface. Right. And it's super easy. And it's not like a, you know, a Lysol spray where there's a bunch of other junk inside the spray that you're inhaling. You just you know, it's a quick thing to do to disinfect. So it's really easy and I have it at my uh, arm's length. So that's something that I like to do and I have. I would I have wear my pediatric ER hat and it would just offer parents be really careful and keep an eye on that spray bottle. Oh, yes, of course. And keeping it out of the reach of... It's extremely toxic. Of, of children, of course. Yeah, yes, it's a very su- good note. Super careful. Um, what else I are we going to uh, The other thing that I like to think about is... Uh, when my, my child is sick, I think about what you, Dr. Chris, said about when you were in the infectious, not infectious disease, but you were in a class and they sprayed something on your hand mm-hmm. and it was actually uh, like a, 
it was it, like a dye, what, what but we, you couldn't what we did see is a fluorescent. We each, yeah, we each got an invisible dye on our hands. Yeah, a fluorescent dye or some sort. And a third of the class see. got red, a third of the class got blue, and a third got yellow. And um, you saw at the end of the class that you were touching all of the things that you touched and all the colors in the room, like that got exposed to all those different colors, right? Yep, absolutely. So I try to think like, okay, if my kid is sick. I just blew her nose. If I had red paint on my hands, what would I have done after I had red paint on my hands? I'd go wash my hand or I wouldn't touch anything. I wouldn't touch my eyes. So I pretend and I have to force myself and actively think this way. Like, okay, I blew her nose. I have red paint in my hand. What do I do now? So I try to think of that in a way to save myself. Oh, she has, you know, uh, or like she vomited. Okay, there's red paint on the toilet. Now I got to go spray or clean up so that I don't sit down or I touch this area and then I touch myself and then it, I get exposed more so and I get sick. So a couple of just things that I like to do when yeah, I'm great. around sick advice. people, I think advice. about those things. Um, but Dr. Chris, you said a lot of wonderful things, a lot of things that we need to know to prepare ourselves for this upcoming fall and winter season. And um, I hope everyone was taking notes. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot going on in the ER that we don't know about and that we don't see and we don't hear about. So hopefully this makes everybody a little bit more, if not prepared, more cognizant of what's happening um, this year. And um, uh, I hope everybody stays safe and healthy as possible. Get those cookies. Um, anything else you want to add, Dr. Chris? Yeah, I would add if you have questions, we get questions all the time. Um, send them our way. Absolutely. And, you know, we put out a lot of tips on social media, very similar topics. And we have online classes for parents on all these topics. And we do parent coaching as well. Send us the questions. Send us the comments. We respond pretty fast, pretty yeah. fast for you guys. So that's all for this podcast. Um, see you next time and have a great rest of your day. That's all for today's episode. Thank you for joining our mom and doc talk. Did any questions come up while you were listening? Share your questions with Dr. Christopher and Azure by visiting www.blueemeraldwellness.com. You can also connect with them on Instagram at WeAreKidsHealthSecrets. Don't forget to rate the show on iTunes or Spotify so we can continue answering your most pressing kids' health and parenting questions. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode of Mom and Doc Talk. The content of this podcast, the opinions and information provided by the co-host and guests are for educational purposes only and should not replace the care provided by your child's physician. If you or your child is ill or having an emergency, please call 911 or seek care immediately.